shakalaka. The whole gang is back. Welcome back to a tale of two rivals. A fancy football podcast where three guys try to agree but end up just arguing the whole time. I am your host, Todd, at FF underscore Banterman Foster, joined by FF underscore Spaceman Dave Wright, a new writer for the Dynasty Happy Hour podcast. So, and their website. Yay, yay. Excited to be over there with Tyler Gunther, uh Kamish McGriff, and a bunch of other people, too. So I'm really excited to be over there now. That That's fantastic. Big, big news. They got, they got a good one. They got a good one. <laughs> They'll get plenty of DJ Moore content. Who else we joined by? Actually, is anybody else here? Anybody else here? Well, back in the mix, after a brief sojourn, is your perpetual plus one, FF underscore walrus Sean Kennedy. Just sweating bullets in this heat, Todd. I feel like Homer Simpson trying to drink after eating the uh, Guatemalan sanity pepper. It's like the, al- it's like the alcohol is disappearing before it hits my lips. Yes, I agree about the heat. I am shirtless. My man sweater is like in full force right now. You going full Tom Selleck? Oh, full Tom Selleck, bro. Good for you. It's good Good stuff, dude. Yeah, I'm just excited to be back. And we kind of missed you last week because things went really smooth. (laughs) (laughs) There was nobody to instigate any sort of animosity, dude. We missed you trying to make things contentious. (laughs) You sound like my parents for that one week they got back together in 1999. (laughs) Oh, that that went dark quick. Save that for the therapist, Sean. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Let's be honest, this is our therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Let's get into the question of the day. So, in the history of you fine gentlemen engaged in fantasy football, who was your biggest letdown? Who was your biggest heartbreak hotel? Your boulevard of broken dreams? Who was the fault in your stars? Mine was very, very famous in our original home week, and it's Bishop Sankey who was a phenomenal talent coming out of college. First round draft capital. That's back in the day where everybody looked for a workhorse. Committee wasn't really a thing yet. That was the guy I hung my hat on. I spent a very early pick on him, earlier than most, and I got ridiculed and I like talked my talk like I normally talk my talk, and wow, did I fall flat on my face with that one. That guy was out of the league within three years. This just shows how delusional you are because Bishop Sankey was not a first-round draft pick. He was a second-round draft pick. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Pick, 50, pick 54. He's right his way out. Was he really? Yeah. Well, you know, by the, by the time like it gets to the point he was the number one overall and everybody missed on him. That's how I'm going to end up telling the story in like yeah. 10 years. Or no one your, kid, your kids are going to be listening and you're going to be like, I remember when Bishop Sankey went 101 in the NFL draft, and I drafted my fantasy league. I beat Dave 15 times in championships. <laughs> yeah, but that's probably going to be true. Oh, gosh. He's got to make it there first. True. Actually, last week, we talked about Dave making it to the IDP finals and always losing to me. That felt good. Bishop Sankey was like, that was my guy, man. I honestly thought he was going to be phenomenal, and he fell on his face. What about you, Dave? Deers was epic. Yeah, David Wilson, I was all in on his speed, athleticism, size. I think he had a little catchability, if I remember correctly. I think he returned kicks. I loved his dynamism. He had high draft capital with the with the New York Giants. And then he had a fumbling issue where I believe he cried on national television. 
Yeah, and then he had that that nasty neck injury, and then he was bye-bye David Wilson. I remember thinking I was so clever in the early years of our home redraft league that was a keeper league. I was like, you know what? I'm going to draft David Wilson at the 201 because that's just going to make him that much better of a keeper next year. And uh, yeah, that didn't go well. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. It'll go down in history. Sean, I love yours, man. What's yours? I got to I gotta jump in on Dave's because this was even before I knew you guys. That's how far back we're dialing at this it's point. It's true. I was also in on David Wilson. I can't say that I went as high as a 201, but he walked in. There was nobody around. It looked like just all signs were pointing to success. And for about four years afterwards, my friends would just intermittently send me that gif of him crying on the sidelines. Anytime I thought like we were in a discussion and I one up them or like I really fired a good shot across their bow, boom, David Wilson crying gif. Even like I have a friend who can arguably not read <laughs> and he would even one up me with that. We might need to move on from this uh, David Wilson topic because it's bringing up some uh, dark memories here. Yeah, so. choked up. All right, yeah. well, I'll dive into mine. Mine was Mr. Monte Ball, who I don't know, he just he got me. He wasn't the most exciting that year, but it just you know, he did a lot well. I was smitten. I was drawing hearts all over my notebook. I was writing Mr. Sean Ball, and he just did nothing. He fell flat on his face. And were you really doing those things? Because that seems like an over like exaggeration. No, because like, I wasn't you- eleven at that time. I was an adult. I'm being hyperbolic, Todd. <laughs> I Embrace the medium. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. But man, I looked up his stats and he never even hit a thousand yards total for his career. He just yeah. he just didn't have it at all. And if I hadn't been so enthusiastic going in, it wouldn't have hurt as much. And I think what makes it hurt more is there wasn't this epic David Wilson fumbling issue, lasting forever crying gif. It was just like, now everyone sits there and goes, oh yeah, that guy. Great question of the day. So last week, we focused on running backs. This week, we're going to focus on wide receivers. It's been a long, frustrating offseason, to say the least. With players opting out, uncertainty all around us, it's maybe difficult to be mining value at this point, but we must press on, people. We are dynasty people. That's what we do. We are obsessed with dynasty mining. This is the time to be mining through those ambiguous depth charts. So we're diving into this ambiguous receiving cores, like we did with the backfields in our last episodes. Before we really dive into the depth charts that we're going to talk about, I think it's best that let's define what we believe an ambiguous depth chart is. What do you guys believe is an ambiguous situation or a position battle? And how would you determine which ones to pay attention to, which ones are not really investing much time into? Since Dave and I talked about this last week, too, I want to start with Sean to get a fresh perspective on it. So I always try, when looking at this, to look more to something where you're lacking the historical precedence from the season before, whether it's due to injury or a free agent signing. You're talking about having to develop a rapport, having a playbook that they need to learn. So really what I'm interested more in is who are... The veterans that were brought in, who did the team go out knowing that they were going into the draft looking to pick up a wide receiver but decided to sign a free agent anyway? Or somebody who's coming back off of injury. 
Right. Well, you have the historical justification, like you said there, but it doesn't make a clear consensus because now he has competition that didn't exist before. So that totally makes sense. Yeah. So I think that's that's where you really need to dive. Right. That totally makes sense. Dave, what about you, man? Last week, I actually really enjoyed our discussion on running backs. But for me, wide receivers is a little bit different because running backs and how I view it and how a lot of other people do is that running backs, sometimes they're given carries. They're like, oh, you're this role, fill this role. Whereas wide receivers, and it's been shown, they earn snaps. Yeah, they, like sometimes they get chances because of uh, injuries or whatnot. But yeah, usually you get snaps based on your talent. I love playing this game about wide receiver position battles because it's just all I can pick a guy who I think is a rising talent. But overall, I would say it's a situation, you know, where there's un- uncertainty, unknown, that creates a potential value in terms of fantasy, you know, hoping someone emerges. That can be young ascending talent versus an aging vet, kind of like what Sean was talking about, or an arrival versus departure at the wide receiver position on a team. A coaching change like we have in, in Carolina right now. Is the coaching change going to affect any of the, the wide receiver distribution? And then also QB change matters. And like Sean mentioned a couple times, injury too. So that's kind of how the wide receiver position battles shake up for me. I have a lot of fun because you can invest more on talent than on running backs. You kind of have to say, oh, veteran deference or who the coach likes. Because, you know, you're always like, oh, Jamal Williams is going to get touches because they like Jamal Williams in Green Bay. They shouldn't. I, I, I trust the talent always rises to the top with wide receivers. That's totally fair. I think it's easier to see where the talent's going to come out with a wide receiver than with a running back. I'm looking for the opportunity for someone to emerge as a reliable starter or flex option. Well, not the one thing. One of the most important things that's consistent with running backs would be they're on competitive, good teams, and that always matters for me. Wide receivers, QB is king. If you have a better QB than this guy, that means a lot to me. And obviously, it's a pass-heavy offense. Line doesn't matter as much with me with wide receivers. Obviously, it could matter in terms of QBs kind of staying on their feet. But I think if you have a quality QB, then they still make it happen. I think the biggest thing is that in ambiguous situations, you're looking at guys going up against guys that have not been productive for long periods of time. Sean was saying historical justification. I loved that term because that makes total sense. If a guy hasn't been productive for a team for multiple seasons then it's still kind of open to me. And I think the first camp that we're going to get into is going to really talk about that. Those are situations I like to kind of focus on. Good team, pass-heavy offense, QBs, guys that are battling out without guys that are historically been dominant. That's it. For our first battle, we had the Giants wide receiver one, which we weren't really sure who would emerge out of three guys. So looking at Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, and Sterling Shepard. I'll start this one off. The interesting thing about these guys is they're all separated by one target. You had 83 targets for Slayton, you had 84 targets for Shepard, and you had 85 targets for Tate. I believe that Shepard's the wide receiver one here for me, with Slate and Tate battling it out for wide receiver two. The consistency of targets is kind of the big thing for me, and I believe that Shepard was like leading the team in targets, He's had at least 80 targets for all four seasons he's been there. He's been over 100 twice. He had over six targets in 10 games last year, over nine targets in six games, four games over 70 receiving yards. I think Slayton this year is a little bit more of a boom-bust kind of a guy, and I think most of his big plays came due to the fact of injuries and guys not being available. I don't think Slayton's a bad play. I don't think he's a reliable play. If I'm investing in somebody, I want to invest in somebody I know is reliable and going to get targets, and I believe they can produce in week, week to week. Slayton, I don't believe in that, and I believe his touchdowns will regress this year by quite a bit. 
And with everyone healthy, I just don't see that happening. He only had three games over 70 yards last year. And I love Golden Tate. I love it. I've always been a Golden Tate fan. Old Faithful. He's cheap as hell right now. And he's still been productive and steady. Looking at at least six targets in nine out of the 11 games he played. Eight or more targets in six of those games. And he still had six TDs in 11 games. And he had five games over 80 yards. I would invest in Sterling above any of these guys. I would probably stay away from Slayton because his ADP is the highest out of the group. And I probably am the lowest on him from a consistency standpoint. I think Shepard could still be good for multiple years with that team. And I think that Golden Tate offers a huge discount at his age as a guy as your first bench option or your last starting wide receiver. Sean, what about you? I feel like this one needs to be done, but when I opened up the show doc and saw that it was first, I closed it for a little bit. (laughs) Because I think it needs to come with a big giant asterisk of assuming the team is healthy. None of these guys outpace Barkley or Ingram in targets. The way it cut up last year, despite that they were either hurt or in Slayton's case were coming on later, won't change all that much. You know, I don't see any of them really making a huge leap and a bound over 105. I feel like it's where they'd probably max out. And Todd, I think you hit the nail right on the head with Slayton's ADP being huge. I did a couple mocks over the weekend and he was consistently going in like the sixth round. Way too high. Way Way too too high. high. This was redraft. This was redraft. Still way too high. Still way too high. You had Shepard falling down into like the 10th, 11th-ish. Yep. You had Golden Tate basically being free at the back end. Yep. And I just think for this ambiguous of a situation where you can't look at last year and try and even copy and paste that over in really any kind of regard, I think what you can bring in is that, like you said, Slayton didn't have a ton of consistency. He was far and away the least consistent on all of them with the opportunity that he had. His TDs were through the roof, but that happens when you're the only game in town. They can't throw the, this isn't the Simpsons. They can't, it's not Nelson throwing the ball to Nelson to run for a touchdown. So that, that should regress. What concerns me most with taking Shepard Heist is he's never really been a red zone viable receiver. Now, again, if you're getting him in the 11th, you know, you're talking about a flex guy at best, a bench spot. And I don't think I'm willing to commit anything more to these guys. That being said, I think it's going to be Tate. He'll end up being the wide receiver one. But I want to take I want to take Slayton because the price is way too high. I'd be hesitant on Shepard, but I think Tate has shown that he can get it done inside the 20 and outside of the 20. And I think he'll end up being not by not by a mile, but by an inch, the wide receiver one of this team. Are you saying that's a buy and redraft or dynasty for you? Tate? Yeah. If you're talking Dynasty Startup, both. I feel like in Dynasty Startup, he would also be practically free. I agree. I'm going to save my thoughts on Shepard until Dave talks, but I think that Tate's a phenomenal investment because I don't see his ADP being that much different than Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, similar situations. Right. And then like Tate might even have two years left, and he's been productive. So, Dave, what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, guys, I tried every trick in the book. I went as far as pairing pictures of Slayton with Quinn whispering to me, Njoku, Njoku. And I got no spark, no fire, nada from these wide receivers. Even though I like them overall as a unit, this is a good unit as far as NFL wide receiver course. 
And I agree with a lot of what Sean said, and Todd touched on a little bit. Their injuries as a whole led a lot of their individual production increase because when someone was out, it gave more opportunity for one person. I think uh, Shepard played 10 games. Uh, Tate, I think, played nine. And then uh, Slayton played the most games. And I am the highest on Slayton, which diverges from you guys, because I look at it as like this. As a fifth-round rookie pick, he was nowhere on my board as my rookie board, as, as a wide receiver that I like. He just didn't check off any boxes for me. He led the New York Giants in air yards, receiving yards, TDs, and that's pretty impressive for a fifth-round rookie pick. Yes, Todd, I agree. He was inconsistent at times, and he was inefficient, too, uh, on converting some of those air yards that he had. But he's a down-the-field player, and it's expected that rookies will be inconsistent because they're rookies. They're raw. They're, they're learning. If I'm a player who, ha- who had Slayton or I picked him up off waivers in a lot of cases, or he's a fourth-round pick for me, very excited what he did as a rookie, probably blew away everyone's expectations. And then I just look at the, his ADP, though, as I'm just slightly below his ADP. He's my wide receiver 48 overall. But I think to myself, would I push the button on Slayton? No, because I'd rather have Nikhil Harry a couple rounds later. Every single time, as, as far as roster construction, I'll wait on Slayton, and I'll just pick up Harry later. And also, too, there's a lot of great day two rookies that are going over him in value-wise in trades or in, in drafts. So I'd rather have those those round two, early round two rookie picks over Slayton like a Higgins or a Brian Edwards. I like those players more, so I'd rather have them than going after Slayton. And we've talked a lot on this show about Tate's value at certain points. I was really excited to have him on the Scott Fishbowl. Really excited where I got him as far as a death piece. But last month, his value as we're getting closer to redraft, he jumped like 40 spots or something in DLF ADP. You know, now he's going ahead of Mims, Harry, Herbert in Superflex Leagues. And he's a, a lot of the back-end tight end ones, Tate's going ahead of them now. And this is just a, a classic example of knowing the market. We preach it all the time, knowing the market with Tate. The value's not quite there anymore. I like him. I love him as a depth piece. Everything what Todd said, what Sean said. And then Shepard. Yeah, Todd's right. He has a nice floor. He hit those target floors. And as a deeper roster, like a five-wide receiver, like our home league for a dynasty, I like Shepard and had that floor he has, but as far as just a regular three wide receiver dynasty league with a couple flexes, he doesn't do it for me. I don't think he has much upside, so he just doesn't give any excitement to me for the reason that Sean says, so I won't go into it. However, what after this conversation and breaking down the New York Giants, what comes out to me is that the New York Giants have done a pretty decent job acquiring pieces on this offense. Yes, they've been health issues, but the pieces that they've acquired means Daniel Jones... He doesn't have a lot of excuses now. They've improved the offensive line. They've got some decent weapons. Daniel Jones, I understand some of the excitement around him, and I'm ready to eat some crow. I'm not going to do it yet, but I, I can see it happening already here. So, I, I, you know, I, I'm getting anxious. You've already eaten crow on him. You've I'm anxious just thinking about it. I'm anxious just thinking about Daniel Jones becoming <laughs> successful. So, I mean, I hope he does succeed for his own, but yeah. So that's, my, that's how I look at the uh, New York Giants, guys. Yeah, I agree with you. I think like what the Giants have done, they definitely put together like some great skill pieces around Jones, and I think Jones ended up being a very good pick. I still don't know if he was really worth the capital they put into him, but from a fantasy standpoint, he's definitely a great QB to be targeting as the 14th or 15th QB off the board, which is like great value for a guy that showed a lot in his rookie year with a lot of good pieces around him. And like you said, they upgraded that line big time. So I think for me, the one thing I want to say, then we're going to put this on the bed, is like, I'm a big buyer in Shepard. I just really am. When we talk about buying Tate, we're talking about buying a guy as a rental. It, that is a rental player. Are you comfortable with him over Mims or over a Herbert and Superflex? 
Oh, Herbert? No. No. Because that's not where he's going Herbert. now. That's where he's going. I now. wouldn't take him over Herbert. I would I would take him over Mims. Now you get to ask me that question as in where do I see my team? Or give me Emmanuel Sanders for cheaper. Yeah, I, I I would say Emmanuel Sanders and Tate were probably in the closer ADP at one point. I mean, I'm not I, I don't memorize, but it was pretty close at one point. Do you guys find it at all concerning that we're still having this conversation about Shepard? That as he's going into his fifth year in the league, we're still thinking like, well, maybe he could be the wide receiver one for this team. No, because the Giants were an absolute dumpster fire. But in the way that Tampa was a dumpster fire last year, right, that should produce more opportunities for receivers on a team that at the time didn't really target the running backs out of the backfield, just had OBJ and just Shepard. To me, one of my biggest red flags for him is that if it was going to happen, it already would have. And now he had the year without OBJ where it should have happened, and it didn't. And he's never caught over 70 balls, and he's never had, outside of his rookie year, he's never topped more than four touchdowns. His last year with OBJ, he went over 850 yards. That's pretty good, being number two in an offense that was horrendous. Todd, we missed the boat when we're talking about Shepard. And I think the reason why I, I don't like to talk about Shepard a lot or I'm not very high on him is like when I'm ever writing his name out, I want to add an H, an extra H in there. It drives me insane. <laughs> yeah. I can't figure out how to spell his name. Now that this we've had this conversation, I'm going to remember. But who knows? A couple months, I'm going to want to add an H in there again, probably. Oh, my God. I've never noticed that before. And now I'll never unsee it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> there really is no, oh, there's no second H? Nope, there is none. That's upsetting. That's really upsetting. I rest my case with the H comment. That's all I have to say about this. This these wide receivers <laughs> speaks volumes. Oh uh, man, you got you guys are undervaluing Shepard. All right, next one. Chiefs wide receiver two. So we're looking at Hardman versus Watkins. I'm gonna let Dave start this one off. Can we please stop with Sammy Watkins? We know what Sammy Watkins is at this point. Yes, he could be the third option on that high flying. High-volume KC pass offense with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, we've seen it. But we've also seen what it looks like when he has that option, and it's very inconsistent, and it's very hard to start him week-to-week. As we get closer to the season, we have to remember, it becomes a week-to-week game, and knowing who to start and when to start matters. And this is best-case scenario that he's the third-best option, unless you know injuries and all this stuff comes in. But realistically, he's struggling for that fourth or fifth option in this offense between the RBs and Hardman. I don't want to rely on him for that. His overall finish might be higher than wide receiver 80. Probably he's going to be, but that's where I have him. I have him at wide receiver 80, and I'm happy that he's that low. Good luck knowing when you're going to play him. I played a little game here, guys. I want you to play along with me. So this is the game. The game is called, How Much Can We Hate on Sammy Watkins? How to play? Just correctly guess the other player not named Sammy Watkins. Here we go, guys. Chenault or Sammy Watkins? Chenault. Not in DLF ADP. Anthony Miller or Sammy Watkins? Anthony Miller. Anthony Miller. Not in DLF ADP. Emmanuel Sanders or Sammy Watkins? Sanders. Sanders. Yep. Curtis Samuel or Sammy Watkins? Samuels by a lot. Samuel. Yep. Brian Edwards or Sammy Watkins? Sammy Watkins. B.E. I'll take Brian Edwards. I will too. I just wanted to be a pain too. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, there's so many. I'm having so much fun playing this game and just hating on Sammy Watkins. I just want to get to the next guy. I just want to get to the next guy. I can't wait till we get to Russell Gage. Antonio Brown or Sammy Watkins? Sammy Watkins. Yeah, Watkins. Brown's never playing. I'll take AB just because if AB plays, I actually think he's going to produce. Social justice warrior you are, Dave. 
How is he going to play? He's going to get suspended immediately. The NFL is going to be so desperate getting replacement players that AB is going to become the star of the league. No, they're going to call Keanu Reeves and he'll be the star. <laughs> We've already seen this movie. I definitely see a mask issue with AB coming up. Yeah, probably. probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll take Todd's guy, Alan Lazard, over Sammy Watkins. Bye. Yep. Yeah. And then probably I'm in the minority. Corey Davis over Sammy Watkins? No. 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 Give me CD. Give me CD. Give me Corey Davis. Can, is neither an option? James Washington, I'll take him over him. Hunter Renfo, Randall Cobb. I'll even go Mohamed Sanu running up those hills in the summer heat. And I'll even (laughs) go Larry Fitzgerald over Sammy Watkins just because I know I can start Larry Fitzgerald in weeks one and two, and he'll be a wide receiver too, and then he'll do nothing for the rest of the weeks, the rest of the year, so I can cut him. I I would say like 60% of those guys I agree with you on. Then I'm like, okay, now you're just hating on Watkins hard, man. Yep. And I loved it. I, it was such a fun game to play. Thank you guys for playing. Oh, and I guess I should say something about McCole Hardman. He's heading into year two based on draft capital. And in that offense, I'll bet on his efficiency he had in year one because he had a ton of efficiency. Draft capital, speed, athleticism in that offense. Yeah, I'll, I'll make the bet, that kind of bet. I'll take the young wide receiver and McCole Hardman. That's who I want for the second wide receiver in this offense. Do you have his air yards off the top of your head by any chance? Top of my head, I think it was in the 400s, but he had a ton of yak. Ton of yak. Yeah, ton of yak. Yeah, just want to point that out. All right, Sean? I'm in on Hardman, too. I'm not very bullish on him. I feel like a lot of people are. The Twitter community seems to be abuzz with him, or at least was, going into the end of last year, especially since it looked like Watkins was going to retire, which is basically like the Michael Scott way out of just quitting before they can fire him. I mean, short of that week one, he did nothing. And then he did the cliche Sammy Watkins thing of showing out in one game in the playoffs, but not being present for the other 17. But worth noting is that a third of his yardage, 20% of his receptions in all of his touchdowns, every single touchdown that he scored, 100% of them happened in week one. After that week one, he totally fell off and disappeared. And I think Hardman isn't going to have this huge explosion in volume that people might be tagging him for as the wide receiver too. Because like Dave was saying on that team, you're still the fourth option maybe as the uh, wide receiver too on that team, third at best. And I just, I don't see it, but his yak was huge. His efficiency was huge. I mean, there were a couple games where he had like one reception for 96 yards and a touchdown because he just absolutely housed some little BS third and three swing pass. So I think you can't go wrong there um, in later rounds picking up a guy like that. And there's just there's 0% possibility that Sammy Watkins finishes as the wide receiver too for this team. Which, if we're going to take the Sammy Watkins version of reality into account, means a lot. Because he believes in a vast multiverse that he can control through his dreams. Which, despite that level of control, still hasn't led to him being a consistently dominant wide receiver presence in the NFL, even though he thinks he has scales instead of skin. Uh, yes, the lizard. I the lizard. If, you, if any listeners out there, especially in Lithuania, missed Tyler Dunn's write-up on him in May for Bleacher Report, go read it because it is absolutely fascinating. I stopped working for an afternoon just to read it and follow all the tangents <laughs> from that article. I'm buying Hardman in all formats 
and I wasn't last year. I'm not one of the people that was obsessed with him as a rookie. He won me over. I'm converted when it comes to Hardman. They obviously invested in him while they still had Watkins, while they still had Kelsey. Obviously, Tyree kills the guy there. But my point being is that Hardman is somebody they invested in because they believed him. And you, the film speaks, man. The guy is a freak, all right? Hardman is going to make Watkins the wide receiver three on that team. And I'm extremely confident in that, and so is Sean and Dave, apparently. He accomplished 80% of Watkins' yardage in 50% less touches last year. Over 20 yards per catch. Damn. People go nuts about A.J. Brown with that stuff. But Hardman, who's a yak monster like Dave pointed out before, and then he goes out and doubles Watkins' TD output, too, with less opportunity. The guy is an athletic freak of nature, all right? And it's an easy reason to want to invest in Hardman. His ADP is around 120 in startups. Why wouldn't you want to invest in this guy? It's not a crazy investment. I'll just say, too, Todd, is that Nicole Hardman... You're right. Right now, he's going around wide receiver 45. So most people aren't taking Sing Watkins over McCole Hardman. I think why we brought this topic up was that in this offense, McCole Hardman has a chance to take a leap forward. And he can, you know, as a position battle, he can get more opportunity. And right. we like him. And the best part is his price. I, I think it's a little bit of strong and argument between him and Sammy Watkins. But what can happen because he wins this battle is exciting at this price point. You're talking about the 45th wide receiver off the board could be the number two wide receiver for a prolific offense with one of the best quarterbacks you've seen in recent memory. It it could be exciting. There's one thing we haven't pointed out about Hardman that, I mean, I know I'm selling him hard. A lot of his production came when Hill wasn't playing. All right. That, that is true. And I won't ignore that. Keep an eye on Kalijah Lipscomb as a deep, deep stash, if he gets any buzz at all. Oh, I like that. I liked him a lot as a Debbie guy. Any buzz at all. Sean and I, we both did a little dive on him. I think I ended up writing an article on him. I'm not saying put him on your team right now, but just monitor, see how he does. If he sticks on that roster, saying Watkins is gone next year, Robinson could be gone next year. There could be a lot of wide open real estate for him. So just keep an eye on it. For sure, taxi candidate. Position battle three. We're talking about the Texans. Who knows who's what in this offense? So you have Cooks, Fuller, Stills, Cobb, Sean. What are you making of this mess? I don't think it's that messy. I think it's dumb. I think it's a roster construction done blindfolded with a dartboard that you're throwing underwater. Because it just seems like they ended up with five guys who all do the same exact thing. They're all a little bit undersized. They're all a lot of bit fast. And they're all hurt very frequently. Cream rises to the top, and the cream here is undoubtedly Cooks, even though last year was a dumpster fire for him. And he ends up on a new team, and this is a team that has glaring need at wide receiver, and I'm counting on Cooks. And I think despite the concussion history, which I'm sure somebody's going to bring up during this, he's the only guy you can rely on in this. Cobb is... Definitely a possession receiver, but he's way over the hill. I mean, he's basically just a crib keeper at this point. And he had, what, 83 targets last year, I believe, and he's just steadily fallen off every single year getting down to that point. Kenny Stills in seven years has only had two seasons over 50 receptions. Will Fuller, just he can't find the field if he had a magnet. I think it's Cooks, undoubtedly. 
because I think he's the only person that you can say has consistently produced in their NFL career is somehow less injured than half of these other guys and brings the most value to this team in terms of the skill set. I will say Randall Cobb is still only 29 years old, even no. though he feels like he's been in the league for 30 years. We've yeah. Been talking, yeah. That just blew he's my 29. Eye. I'm older than Randall Cobb. That's, That's crazy. Todd could be his grandfather. Goodness. I am his grandfather. He can't be 29. 29 years old. He turns 30 on August 22nd. He's got good genes. I was a great slot receiver in high school. Yeah. Way to go, grandson. For me, I agree with Sean that I think Cooks has definitely been the most productive, consistent option there. But the top options are obviously both health concerns. And they have always have been and they always will be. So I'm going to take the guy that has exploded with Watson and has a rapport with Watson who isn't new to the team and doesn't have that extensive concussion history. The concussions worry me more than other injuries. Like being born without hamstrings? Yeah, pretty much. I, I feel like we could fix that. You know, modern medicine. Let's go. So Fuller is top for me and Cook's is second. Sean, question. Is it a surprise that Todd picks an ordained wide receiver? No. I know he loves Never. the Golden Tates. Oh, yeah. I'm not shocked. Name a third. The- Name a third. Equimenius St. Brown. Yep. I don't yep. like him. Chase Claypool, you love him. No, I don't. Every- <laughs> Miles Boykin, you love him, too. No, I don't. <laughs> I, like two, I like two Notre Dame wide receivers. All of a sudden, I'm a Notre Dame fan. Todd, when you watch Rudy, do you cry more than once during that movie? Well, no, everybody doesn't. <laughs> not more than once there's one there's one time that everybody has i don't know man when he makes that tackle no it's his dad's speech at the train station that's the one that's the whole no, movie you know no there's there's many times there's many times we digress so uh fuller is definitely at the top for me investing in one of them really depends on adp and price if i'm going for a trade but i'll be investing in fuller over cooks now the guy that i would definitely be seeking out of this situation is sean completely just obliterated obliterated kenny stills i love kenny stills his opportunity and i love his value his adp is 222 yes it's crowded but if he finds a way to be the number one wide receiver here oh right we just talked about two guys that are always hurt kenny stills to be is is the third wide receiver on that team Yes, Dave, I am a doctor, all right? <laughs> he's one injury away from a major role, and he's two injuries away from being a wide receiver one with Deshaun Watson. And he's essentially free. So, yeah, Kenny still is all day. Cobb, great best ball guy. Kiki, not worth talking about. Dave? Every single Houston wide receiver is a value. Every yep. single one. I agree with that. I'll take Cooks over Fuller. I'm excited to see what the guy who's shown it on the field, he did it for a long time at a young age with good QBs, and now he's got another good QB again. Not to hate on Goff too much, because he did struggle last year, but Cooks had the highest A dot in that team, and they didn't have an offensive line to block for him, so he, was getting, he wasn't getting the best targets with Goff just hucking up there and not being able to stand in and take a hit. We have to overlook a little bit what Cooks did last year with that and his injuries, so that's how I'm kind of approaching Cooks. I just love him at his price. I love all these guys at his price. I don't have a lot to add besides what we've already been talking about, but I just think we've talked to all these four wide receivers, or we've mentioned them all t- so far. I like all of them. I think they're all value. I yeah. think they're being slept on. You know what that means? 
I think people are sleeping on Watson. I know. I think we've brought this up before in this podcast, yes. and I will say it again. People are sleeping on Deshaun Watson. He has the weapons. We've already mentioned all the wide receivers. He's got Duke Johnson and David Johnson at running back, and he's got Fells, a tight end who's been a good red zone guy, or sometimes he'll move the chains, but also Kale Warren could be something this year. I've seen a lot of hype of him getting a lot of reps in with Watson this offseason. You've seen a lot of hype coming from yourself on him. I create my own news headlines, Todd. So that's the, what 2020 is all about. Building his own. seen a lot of hype on him from your own mouth. Yeah, the hack Roto world. That's amazing. It's so funny. Uh, yes. Let me live my own fantasy land. Locking in Deshaun Watson as the QB3 in Superflex Dynasty, which is what you're going to say, correct, my friend? Oh, yeah. Pound the table for that, baby. I love it. <laughs> love it. I love it. Yes, I understand the pounding table. I want to save it. Now, we are jumping into the Pittsburgh Steelers. Sean, I'm going to let you kick it off. Juju, Johnson, Washington, Claypool, go. That order right there, um, for me, I think that's how it shakes out. I think every indication from last year shows that. Big Ben is back. He trimmed his quarantine beard, which has somehow given him the life of the Ten Rings, and he's going to go conquer the world again. And I think Deontay Johnson showed a lot last year. And I think he showed a lot more than James Washington by putting up more receptions last year alone than James Washington did in his first two seasons. And that being said, I do have a thought on Deontay Johnson, and that thought is simply... The bus is out of control! (laughs) That's fantastic, dude. I think his ADP is flying up there, and ungodly so. I think it's, it's climbing way too high, but I think biggest note of it is that the knock on Juju, right, going into last year prior to Big Ben going down was... Absent of human trash monster Antonio Brown, Juju's not going to be able to do anything. He can't handle full press coverage. He can't deal with that man-on-man attention that Antonio Brown spelled him from. And whether or not you believe that is irrelevant now. Because Deontay Johnson proved last year he's somebody who needs to be accounted for. And I think both of those players with Big Ben back and drawing that coverage to opposite sides of the field, as I imagine they'll be deployed, because I bet that Dave is going to bring up somewhere in his notes that the only thing that Mike Tomlin does better than tackling players in the middle of a punt return is groom wide receiver talent. But these two will be phenomenal. I think James Washington slides in there as the third. I think he's not overly fantasy relevant. And I think Chase Claypool is too... Unique, I guess, is the word I want to use. He can move too far around. He can do too many different things. They're talking about him at tight end and the slot, a Y. He can do all this X and Y and Z stuff that seems like it's going to be a lot better for reality than it will be for fantasy. And I think between learning a playbook, the notoriously slow development that some later round wide receivers have coming on is that he's not going to be there all in this year as a fantasy option. And even next year, he's going to have a hard time Climbing over Johnson. I think they bring back Juju. I don't think he climbs over both of them. And I think even if Juju leaves, they're bringing somebody else in anyway. So I'm all in on the top two, and I'm going to pass on the bottom two. Dave, do you have anything in your notes about Steelers' uh, wide receiver development or their prominence in special teams? 
they're not as good as people think they are. They throw a lot of picks that way. So it seems, yes, they have a lot of hits, but there's a lot of players out there. I can't remember them all off the top of my head here, but there's some a lot of players out there that the Steelers have drafted who aren't very good. So I think it's just the amount that they do invest that it makes it seem like they hit all the time. But they've had some ugly misses too. Eli Rogers comes to mind. It's a good strategy. Yeah, it's a good, fine strategy, good but strategy. don't let's not pretend yeah. that they're just these masterminds because they're not. They actually just throw a lot of darts at the board, which is a which is a good strategy, like you said. But they're not wide receiver masterminds. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, do you have any thoughts on how this whole pecking order r- runs out? Juju has the best shot of becoming the wide receiver he hoped he could be. Maybe some of that shine has worn off, and even some of my optimism has worn off. But I still think he's an elite really? talent. Well, I just think he could have been the wide receiver one overall going into last. That's how how high I was on him. <laughs> so let's talk about this, Dave. Like, where do you see Juju finishing? I think he can be a, uh, definitely a top eight wide receiver this year, and which is which is fine. I don't have my actual projection off the top of my head. That's fair. That's fair. Just go but with your cut. Definitely wide receiver eight. I, you don't have to necessarily take him that high, even though he's still he's still being drafted relatively over high overall. He still can regain that thing with Big Ben back. I have De- Deontay Johnson at value. So I have him right where everyone else has him right now in ADP, but this is the same old thing. You should have bought him early on instead of buying him now. And I honestly think there's a chance that James Washington could be the wide receiver too in this this team. I don't think it's good shot, but there is a scenario where it happens. And James Washington had several good games last year. People forget how good he was at times last season or how many games he actually was relevant. And that was with a bad Mason Rudolph and Buck Hodges. So at that price point for James Washington, I get excited. I don't even really want to talk about Ch- Chase Claypool. People can invest in him where they are in the third round or late second round in drafts. I'll let people swing at a guy who has great athleticism but couldn't perform for some reason at Notre Dame. And he doesn't really seem like he has a position in the NFL. Sean, where do you see Juju finishing? I'm not as optimistic, but not by a lot. I think he's going to come in between like 8 and 12. He'll be like a back-end wide receiver one. I like Dave saying the top eight. I'll subscribe to that too. So... But pretty clear that the consensus is is that Deontay Johnson is not going to take Juju's job. And ADP speaks to that a lot. But we've talked about this before, is that there was a point, I want to say it was like maybe a month or two ago, but Deontay Johnson was like getting, his, his hype train was out of control. I heard it this week, Todd. They were saying that Deontay Johnson is the wide receiver one in Pittsburgh, and I just don't see it. I just don't understand like what exactly he did last year to make you think that. You want that narrative to happen because of a couple of things. One, he's on your team. Or two, you're trying to trade him. That's it. Otherwise, I don't have any idea what makes you think that. It feels like people crowdsourced a narrative. Anybody who listens to this that would like to argue that with me, hit me up on Twitter. Let's go. If you have Deontay Johnson, trade him. Because somebody's nuts in your league. Juju is the alpha. DJ is the two. We're talking about a guy who's removed from a 111 catch season, 1,400 yards. Relax. DJ had 59 catches. No disrespect to Johnson. I think he's solid wide three value. Dave pointing out his ADP is about right in the 40 range, low hundreds. He's got some things to like. There's plenty to like about him, but the argument of Deontay Johnson over Juju is ridiculous. If you don't want to pay for Juju because you don't trust it, that's fine, but Juju's price tag has plummeted. So now is the time to buy if you want to buy into what Juju could be. I'll take Washington over Claypool. I liked Washington better out of college. He has experience in the offense. Claypool is a deeper stash and a wait and see, and I cannot stop getting Dave's voice out of my head talking about how unimpressive he was in Notre Dame. That really stuck with me. 
with that said, we're talking about Juju being top eight. Sean had him eight to twelve. Where do you guys see Johnson finishing? Do you see him finishing as a wide two, a wide three? What are you thinking? Because of Big Ben coming back, and I like that off. I still like how that offense is structured. I have him as a back end mid wide receiver three this year, and I think that's a little optimistic. I think I might be too high on Big Ben's pass attempts this season, but that's where he could end up finishing as a mid to late wide receiver three. So back end wide three, Sean. What were you going to say? So I think a little bit, a little bit higher than that. I would say like a back end wide receiver two. Um, wow. His upside, his upside might even stretch to like wide receiver eighteen, like the fringe mid wide receiver two. Because I'm a little more bullish than Dave. I think. This is an offense that's going to be throwing a lot. I don't think they're going to get a lot from their run game. And they have a pretty competitive schedule. So I just I think they'll end up throwing a lot more, and I think it'll really just be honed into those two. There are a lot of wide receiver twos. So many players, it's tough to finish the back-end wide receiver two this year. Yeah. There's, a, there's a ton of talent. That's pretty much my argument to why I see him as a, as a mid-wide three. The whole thing is like, I feel like I was like bashing Johnson, which it came off as I'm just so heated and people that believe he's better than Juju. If you look at what we just said, like clearly there's a significant gap. Midwide three, that's more based off not the fact that Johnson's not capable of the talent of being in the wide receiver two conversation. I think it's more about the depth of the position. All right. So those are our ambiguous depth charts to take a look at. We talked about some guys just from Diamonds in the Rough. We talked about value. We talked about guys that are high end buys. That could be studs for you, like a juju. So, um, Dave, tell the people where they can find you in your new home. Yes, yeah, so you can find me at the dynastyhappyhour.com. That's where I'm going to be starting to put out some material. I think I might do some Chase Edmonds or AJ Green to, to get my feet Ooh. wet. You know, just, you know, feel at home. Feel at home and just, yeah, it's something we talked a lot about on the pod here, but I haven't written about it yet, so I'm excited to do that. And I've actually made quite a few appearances the last week or two. I was on the Monocle podcast, which was a blast. We did a a charity podcast. We actually did two podcasts, but they were both charity podcasts. And hopefully we have some new listeners from Lithuania. We're, we're trying to become one of the leading Lithuanian podcasts on fantasy football. To, so shout out to all the new followers and listeners from Lithuania. We're excited to have you aboard. And yeah, so I did a, a, a fundraiser for Autism Speaks with John and Crescent and, and Tim Zach and Alex. It was a lot of fun over at Monocle. Check that out. And I actually had a blast recording with, with Scott Connor from the Dynasty and Chill podcast. Scott is a really, really sharp, strategic mind. He does such a great job talking strategy. While I don't always agree with him, I like his process. To end up being a two-hour conversation, I didn't want it to end. It was, and it was, a, it was a very fun podcast. So check that out as well. I really like him on podcast too. I, I definitely can endorse that. Sean, what about you, man? Yeah, you can... Probably sometimes find me over on Twitter at FF underscore walrus. Um, it's been 15 days since I've been on there, but, you know, it'll happen at some point. So check in. Everybody prepares for their first child at some point, dude. <laughs> it's yeah, a lot of work, man. Been a nightmare. I dodged a <laughs> giant lead paint-based bullet today, which I was pretty enthused about. That was That's awesome. That's huge. Um, yeah, don't buy a house from the 1800s. Listen, especially you in Lithuania. You guys have been around a lot longer than we have. Stay away from those older houses. <laughs> That's amazing. You can find my writing at the Dynasty Football Digest. I've been a lot more active on there lately. I am actually diving headfirst into the world of Devi, which has absolutely been my obsession lately. 
I just have to say, your content recently has been great. People should check it out. Some great articles. You can definitely tell that you're having fun while you're writing it. And I think that's one of the best part about fantasy when you can know that the writer is having fun and they believe in what they're doing. So shout out to you, Todd, and some of your content. I recommend people go check it out. Thanks, man. I appreciate that a lot. Devi is a phenomenal format. So I'm going to be doing a lot of Devi stuff. And on this feed, I'm going to be doing some Devi solo stuff because I really like podcasting. I'm definitely going to get on there and talk a little bit more about that. And if you don't play Devi, the reason I'm going to be focusing on certain topics is I'm going to focus on the 2021 class a lot in the next couple months. With the way the scope is in Dynasty football right now is we don't really know how rookie drafts are going to pan out. So it's probably not a bad idea to start looking at the 2021 class to get a head up on your league mates a little bit. My first uh, episode is going to be on running backs, and that should be dropping within a couple of weeks. Always feel free to hit me up at Twitter at FF underscore Banterman to talk about anything Dynasty, but I'm all about the Debbie life right now. And bashing my, my winning percentage on Twitter. Constantly. It's just like, <laughs> it's like so easy and entertaining. It's like low hanging fruit. I can't help it. At some point, it's just math, right? <laughs> yeah, very easy math. Zero is zero no matter what. It's one of the only constants we have <laughs> in mathematics. Uh, hey, KO2 Rivals, thanks for listening to us. Lithuania, we love you. See you guys later. Todd, I have something that I've been burning to tell you, and now that the show's wrapped, I wanted to ask you a question. Is the only reason you like Sam Howell because he's a North Carolina Tar Heel? No, not at all. Man. I've thought about that five or six times in the last couple of weeks. And I keep forgetting to ask you. And I was like, no, it doesn't hurt my excitement. Right. <laughs> but you have to keep in mind that he threw 39 touchdowns as a true freshman in the ACC, dude. And if you watch his film, he makes every single possible throw you want an NFL quarterback to make. And he's a big dude. He's like NFL size now. I love him. I didn't want to do a big Sam Howell podcast. You can't talk just, me about Sam Howell. I expect you to get into it. I just wanted to take a rib and say how much of it you is can't true. expect. Uh, dude, I'm about to go off on Sam Howell. I love Sam Howell. I traded for him in the Debbie League, and I was like, I, I told my wife, she was like, I don't care. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was pretty excited. I like Sam Howell. I like Sam Howell a lot. You can't get me started on Sam Howell, David. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now it's just awkward <laughs> silence. Yeah, I was just waiting for the show to end. <laughs>